Hey, my name is Gavin Johnson. One of the pastors here. Want to welcome you guys. Thanks for being here. So fun to gather with the people of God and learn from His Word and hear what He has for us to impart to us. And uh, so I would invite you to open your Bibles now to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, as I mentioned, it is Advent. Advent is the season where the church, historically, it's the four Sundays, the four weeks before Christmas, when we anticipate the Lord's coming. We both identify with kind of the Old Testament saints as they looked forward to the coming Messiah that would be Jesus. And we as New Testament saints look forward to his second coming. And the church traditionally has focused on the four benefits, four of the main benefits. benefits that God gives to his people at his advent. And those benefits, of course, are hope, peace, joy, and love. And so this morning, I want to talk to us about peace. I want to talk to you about the peace of God. Peace is certainly a central theme in all of the Bible, mentioned over 400 times from Genesis to Revelation and and varying uh, uh, contexts and ideas. And at Advent, we celebrate the Advent, the coming of the Prince of Peace. Now I need to say to many of us, uh, Christmas time is not a time that we usually think as being a peaceful season. Anybody with me? A lot of us think Christmas, man, I think about family dysfunction and awkward uh, dinner conversations. I think about stress and shopping and travel and chaos, and it feels like the opposite of peace. For me personally, Christmas shopping alone is enough to make me want to skip the month of December altogether. All right, we'll just go November, January. And actually, I don't really like winter, so I just soon skip to April too, but my life would get really short. So let's just skip Christmas shopping, okay? I just soon skip it. I think I'm actually allergic to shopping malls. If there's any allergy experts in here, I develop this rash and kind of a tick. Anytime I just get near West Roads, I get uncomfortable. I'm just not a shopping mall kind of guy. Add on top of that, I'm kind of introverted, a little bit claustrophobic, and I hate the smell of strong perfume. And shopping malls in December are my kryptonite, okay? Two hours of shopping, I need two days to recover. Ask my wife, she can testify, amen. Thank God for Amazon. I got the app, the boxes just show up, hallelujah. Uh, Additionally, uh, Christmas can be a difficult time uh, just with all the family stuff going on. Sarah and I are very fortunate, we're very blessed. Both sides of our family live in or around Omaha, so parents, grandparents, some great-grandparents, it's fantastic. And it really is a blessing, but the double-edged sword, the double edge of that is sometimes you feel the obligation to get around to everyone's family function at every holiday. Can anyone relate to me? And so Christmas a lot of times looks like this. We leave the house early, kids are cranky, trying to get uh, the green bean casserole for the lunch party done and the dinner rolls for the dinner party and get them into the van and get the Christmas sweaters on the kids, but the kids don't like the Christmas sweaters because they're itchy, Dad, I don't want to put the Christmas sweater on. Jesus came, you know, get the Christmas sweater on. It's his birthday, dang it. And you get them in the minivan, you strap them to the seats and you're trying to get the food in and you forgot to let the dog out but you're not going to be home till 9 o'clock tonight, so you've got to run in, let the dog out. You get to the first Christmas party, which is fun, and everyone's having fun, but then there's that look of disappointment when you go to leave the party a little early to get to the other family, right? They don't say nothing, but you feel it. There's a little disappointment, like, okay, I thought you did Thanksgiving with them, but whatever, like eat, <laughs> eat our pie and then go over there for presents. I understand, right? And the kids don't want to leave because they're having fun, but you get them back in the car seat. I want the sweater off, Daddy. Put it on. Mittens on. Strap them down. 
Now they're crying the whole way there because they've been overstimulated by grandparents, cousins, nieces, and nephews the whole time, right? Fueled up with sugar. Walk into the next party a little bit late so you get the look again. Like, oh, I see. All right, everyone else was here on time. Now you're late. I see where this family lies in priority with you, right? And uh, then you leave the party way too late because the kids don't want to leave, but you finally get them strapped into the cold car seats, everyone back in the minivan. Now they're fighting with each other because it's past bedtime and they didn't want to leave grandma's house. And you get home and the dog peed on the floor. The house is a mess because you were in such a hurry to get out of there with a green bean casserole that's still hot. And you want the baby Jesus to be born the next day because you need another holiday just to recover, just to recover. And you think, peace, Christmas, how do these have anything to do with each other? And uh, it can seem a little ironic to talk about peace at Christmas time, but City Light, what I want to do this morning, uh, I want to talk about a biblical concept of peace. See, what, what the Bible has to communicate about peace is very much different than the way we understand this concept of peace. See, in our common vernacular, when we talk about peace, we're usually using peace as a negative term. Not that it's bad, it's just the absence of something. It's negative in the sense that peace is the absence of conflict. Peace is defined as the absence of Christmas shopping. Hallelujah. Peace is described as the absence of violence or dysfunction or chaos. And so we define peace by what we don't have. If I don't have those things, then I have peace. It's a negative term. And so by the very way we choose to define peace, it's very hard to experience peace because that kind of peace is in every way, by definition, contingent on our circumstances. See that? Because you can't always get rid of the family drama. You can't always get rid of the impending deadline. You can't always get rid of the financial stress. You can't always get rid of the conflict. And if you can't change your circumstances, if that's where you're looking for peace, you're never going to get peace. You see that? But what I want you to see this morning is that this biblical idea of peace, both the Old Testament idea of shalom and its New Testament equivalent, is not a negative term. It's not the absence of something. It's a, it's a positive term. It means to possess something. It is something that you possess. If you're looking for a definition of peace this morning, here's what I want you to write down, tweet out, tattoo it on your forehead. You're going to need to remember it. Peace is a settled wholeness and goodness that comes from being in the presence of God. Peace is a settled wholeness and goodness that comes from being in the presence of God. And I want you to see this biblical idea of peace completely unrelated from your circumstances, okay? Because that peace doesn't come from your circumstances. Where does it come from? God. He can't be taken from you when you're in relationship with him. And so I want you to see that when you find your peace as a positive wholeness and goodness that comes from experiencing God, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Your circumstances can't take your peace from you because you're not looking to your circumstances for peace. You're looking to God. And so I want you to consider this morning... Do you experience this kind of peace, this kind of biblical peace? I mean, really, in your everyday experience, do you possess a wholeness and a goodness that comes from being in the presence of God? That is biblical peace. And uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to just kind of coach us, okay? I want to use this passage, Philippians 4, see what God's Word has to say to us about this kind of experiential peace that we can possess every day. But, But I need to give one caveat in my introduction before we get into our verses this morning, and that is this. I want to talk about the peace of God this morning, 
But before we can really talk about the peace of God, we need to talk about being at peace with God. Okay, there's a difference. And you cannot experience the peace of God unless first you are experiencing peace with God. Okay, Romans 5 says this, apart from the grace of God, apart from relationship with Jesus, we're not at peace with God. We are at war with God. There's not friendship between us and God. There's there's enmity, there's animosity, there's judgment. And it's not that God has turned on us. The Bible says it's that we have turned on God. We have waged war against God when we sin, and we all sin by nature and by choice. We all turn away from God and pursue selfish things. And, and what we will do is, is we will ignore God and pursue our own fame and glory. Uh, we will uh, use other people and pursue our own good. And while God is a God of love and a just God, we are a selfish people and an unjust people. And we choose to rebel against God, therefore waging war with God. And what the Bible says is unless you have peace with God in this life and in your death, for all of eternity, you won't experience the peace of God, but the wrath of God. So this is important, okay? We need to first understand how can I have peace with God? Uh, Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Key verse for us this morning. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. City Light, this is very good news for sinful rebels like me and like you. We can have peace with God, and it's not through our moral, religious obedience. It's not through our sinful rebellion. How are we made right with God? Through faith in Jesus. When we will confess our sins, confess our selfishness, confess our rebellion against God, and we place our faith in Jesus, rely on Jesus, receive Jesus, something happens and we are no longer God's enemy but his friend. That's the good news of Advent City Light, that Jesus, the Savior and Son of God, came. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially. He rose victoriously, and on that cross, he received God's wrath towards your sin and mine so that we could receive the peace of God that belongs to Jesus. Hallelujah? That's the good news of Advent, and I want to ask you, do you have peace with God? Because none of the rest of our conversation matters this morning until you get this settled in your heart. Do you have peace with God? Peace with God comes when you place your faith in Jesus. And friends, maybe you came this morning wanting to hear a good message on peace, but if you realize in the the depth of your heart you don't have peace with God to begin with, if he's calling your name this morning, would you not harden your heart? Maybe this Advent season is the, the year that he would Advent in your heart. To place your faith in Jesus is to simply say, Uncle, I am a sinner. I'm not at peace with you. I have rebelled against you, but Jesus, you have saved me by your grace. You died for me, rose for me. You now promise to live in me. I receive you. Would you place your faith in Jesus today? Do not harden your heart. You need to get this settled. Do you have peace with God? It comes only through faith in Jesus. Now, here's the good news. Once you are at peace with God, it happens at one point in time. God does all the work. He rescues you. The connecting element is faith. Once you have peace with God for the rest of your life, you can experience the peace of God. And that doesn't happen at a point in time. 
Okay, this is sanctification that happens over your life that you learn how to experience the peace of God in spite of your circumstances. And so that's where I want to take us this morning with the bulk of our time. I want to answer the question, how do we experience the peace of God that was afforded to us at Advent? And so I've got three uh, three points for us, okay? We're going to keep it simple. Uh, number one, I, I want us to see from our text, what is the opposite of peace? Number two, what is the function of peace? What role does it play out in the life of the Christian? And number three, what are the disciplines of peace? Okay, how do we start to cultivate an experiential peace uh, as a Christ follower? So number one, what is the opposite of peace? If peace is this settled wholeness and goodness from being in the presence of God, what's the opposite of it? Of it? Look with me. Um, at verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, we found it, friends. The opposite of the peace of God is not just violence. The opposite of the peace of God is anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. Because when you're experiencing anxiety, you are not experiencing peace. Amen? And when you're experiencing peace, you are not experiencing anxiety. And verse 6 says that we are to be anxious about what? Nothing. Do not be anxious about anything. No exception. City Light, how are we doing at obeying that command of God? We're an anxious bunch. Can we just be honest? Can we be real for a second? Uh, we are an anxious people. Apparently, America's, Americans in particular are not good at keeping that commandment. Uh, in my research, I, I read the National Institute of Mental Health uh, website, and they told me that currently 40 million adults, that's 18% of the U.S. adult population, has a clinically diagnosed anxiety condition. Okay, those are just the ones who have been diagnosed. Uh, so much so that $300 billion a year is spent on medical bills and lost productivity as a result of anxiety. Uh, psychologist Robert Leahy points out, Quote, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. We are an anxious people. Amen? It's an anxious country. We're an anxious people. We're an anxious church. In fact, I think some of us don't even feel right in this world unless we're anxious about something. Right? We're so used to being anxious. Every now and then you have that period where I just don't feel anxious about it. I just kind of feel good. What am I forgetting? Oh, shoot. I've forgotten something to be anxious about. And our mind just starts searching until we can find something to latch on to, and then I can be anxious about it, and then I feel like I've hit my equilibrium. This week, I was anxious about preaching a sermon on anxiety because I got behind. Can we just be real? We struggle with anxiety. Uh, I would just venture to guess some of you didn't get a great night's sleep at least once this week because you were restless because of anxiety. Maybe I'm alone on that. Let me break this down for you. Do you know what anxiety is? I want to give you a new definition of anxiety. Anxiety is borrowed stress. You notice you're rarely anxious about something in the present. I have no anxiety about this sermon right now because I'm giving it. Yesterday, I had anxiety. Why? Because we're never anxious about things in the moment. We're often anxious about things either in the past or most often we're anxious about things in the future. And so what anxiety is, is it's stress on loan. We're borrowing tomorrow's stress. That's a bad idea, amen? It's good to borrow things. Loaning things is fun. My friend Chris is in the Air Force, uh, Air Force, not this Chris, Chris Goad. He got deployed this summer. He loaned me his Harley. 
Hallelujah. It's fun to loan things. It's fun to borrow things. All summer on his Harley. It was great. Pastor Tyler had his family photos taken. He borrowed my shirt. That's kind of fun. My shirt's in his profile picture. That's kind of fun. Borrowing things is fun, but borrowing stress from tomorrow is not fun. That's stupid. That's anxiety, but that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is tomorrow's stress on loan to today. It's a bad idea. I heard another preacher, can't take credit for it myself, but he said it this way, anxiety is imagining the future. Anxiety is imagining your future reality in the worst possible scenario and then freaking out about it, okay? I like that. So let me think, what could go wrong? I'm gonna plan on that, which is fiction, and then freak out about that, which may never happen, right? So let me just think about the fact that I'm not going to be able to provide for and help my aging parents. My wayward kids are never coming back to Christ. I won't have enough money for retirement. I'm not going to pass the test. I will not meet the deadline. The project will not get done, certainly not at the standards, and I will get fired. Right? We take the stress from all of these fictional realities that we drum up in our brain. We pour them in a big mixing bowl. We just mix that stress up. We just have a giant soup of stress, and then we preheat the oven to 350, pour it in a pan, put it in the oven, and bake it, and right before bed, we just like to take that fresh brownie sheet of borrowed stress, and I could sleep, or I could just snack on tomorrow's stress all night long and wait for my alarm to go off. That's what we do. That's anxiety. We're borrowing tomorrow's stress like it's our fun hobby, right? Um, Let me say this. It's okay to plan for the future, is it not? Read the book of Proverbs. Should we pray for the future? Plan for the future? Absolutely. But should we borrow tomorrow's stress, which may or may not be there? No. Be anxious about nothing. You might be asking, by the way, what does the Bible have to speak in? Because uh, uh, certainly this Bible writer didn't have the pressures that I face today, right? Apostle Paul, you don't know me. Don't tell me not to be anxious. You don't know what I'm going through. Uh, Let me just remind us, you remember what the Apostle Paul was doing when he wrote the book of Philippians? He was in jail. He was in jail awaiting a likely death sentence in deplorable conditions, writing a letter to a church that he planted and pastored that now has some severe conflict with two ladies who are in church leadership fighting with each other. He doesn't know if he's going to die. His conditions are deplorable, and the church that he planted is in shambles. But no one in this church ever fights, amen? Keep it easy on us. Was there reason for him to be anxious? Yes, but what does he say? Be anxious about nothing. Nothing. I want you to notice that's a command, okay? I don't want to make you feel guilty for your anxiety, but I do need to point that out. I think some sins we just tolerate as acceptable, right? It's not like some sort of sexual addiction or something that's going to jack up my marriage. That's just in me, and it's just, it's just my plight. I've got a lot of responsibility. I'm allowed to be anxious. No, you're not. The Bible says don't be anxious about anything. Don't tolerate sin in your life. Listen, when we tolerate anxiety, we're not just tolerating sin. It matters. The effects of that anxiety are significant. It blinds you from the blessings that are right in front of you. It robs you from the joy of your everyday experience of walking with God. When you let anxiety reign in your heart, you're letting the one thing ruin everything. You let the one thing ruin everything. And Paul says, be anxious about no thing. Be anxious about nothing. City Light, let's make it practical. What are you anxious about right now? 
What is the thing lying in bed at night, that scene that you replay from the past or that you project into the future and you just kind of put on repeat all night while you wait for your alarm clock to go off? What is it that you are anxious about? Don't tolerate that. We need to kill our sin. We need to kill our anxiety. Now, let me say this to keep it practical. I think the key to killing our anxiety is not just committing to stopping it, right? The Bible said I'm not supposed to be anxious, so I better quit. Oh, crap, I think I'm anxious. Oh, I'm getting anxious about my anxiety. I was supposed to stop that. Now I'm more anxious. The key to killing anxiety is not being anxious about quitting our anxiety because anxious thoughts will continue to come at our mind and at our heart. And what Scripture is going to say is we need a guard. We need an external guard to stand and protect our mind and our heart. And that's where Paul's going to take us next. We need a guard. Look with me at verse 7. I want to show you the function of peace. Point two, the function of peace. It says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen to that. The peace of God guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That word there for guard in Scripture is often used in a military sense. The idea is that there is a guard stationed at the door to your head and your heart. And when you experience the peace with God through Jesus Christ, it's like you enter an impenetrable fortress, and that fortress, it's Jesus Christ. You are hidden in him, Scripture says. Not only are you hidden, there's a guard at the door, and his name is Peace. And much like the prophet of old, MC Hammer, Peace says, can't touch this, okay? That was cheesy. That was Pastor Tyler level humor. But peace stands at the door, says, don't touch this mind, don't touch this heart. They are hidden in Christ with God. That's the role. We don't just stop being anxious. We need a guard. And that guard, his name is peace. And I need you to see this, that that's important, right? Because a guard doesn't mean you're not going to have threats coming at you. It just means that that you're going to be protected from those attacks. And so what we know about peace is that peace is not always going to take you out of your difficult situations. Instead, it's going to help you get through your circumstances with confidence. The peace of God doesn't always take you out of the fire. The peace of God enables you to walk through the fire, insulating you so that you don't get burned. Peace of God isn't always going to take you out of the storm. The peace of God is going to enable you to walk through the storm and learn that you can trust God even in the rain. The peace of God will not change your circumstances, but he will guard your heart and he will guard your mind in your circumstances. Knowing that the the citadel that you exist in, the sanctuary of Jesus Christ, can never be taken from you. It's independent of your circumstances. And verse 7 says that this kind of uncircumstantial peace surpasses all understanding. Okay, Gavin paraphrase, it doesn't make sense. That blows the mind to the person who doesn't know the God of peace. To see someone walk through incredible situations with a sense of peace doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to watch someone endure life's trials and refuse to be victimized by their circumstances. It doesn't make sense. It surpasses all understanding, verse 7 says. Uh, doesn't make sense. Didn't make sense. Just about a year ago, we did a funeral uh, for an 11-month-old kid who died of SIDS. One of the latest ages, they'll still diagnose you as SIDS. Just didn't understand. Just like that, baby's gone. 
Our dear friends at the church, Evan and Kristen Engel, had every reason to feel victimized that God would take their son before he could take his first steps. But instead, at the funeral right up the street at the chapel, I watched these people with a super, I've never seen anything like it, a supernatural divine peace to stand up in front of their friends and family, many of whom are not Christians, and to glorify God and to say, God has permission to take our son. Because God gave up his son so that we on that last day will see our son again someday and we have peace. That doesn't make sense to the person who doesn't have peace. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that doesn't take us out of the fire but lets us walk through it without getting burned. There is a guard around your heart and around your mind. His name is peace. You are secure in Christ. Now, City Lot, I want this to be very practical It's one thing to understand anxiety and and the function of peace, but can we be real? How do we get this? I think we have a lot of work to do to really experiencing this uh, in the everyday experience of our walk with Jesus. And so my last point is this. I want us to see from the text the disciplines of peace, okay? You're going to want to write this down, put it in your iPad notes, your iPhone notes, because you're going to have a restless night this sleep, and you're going to want it, okay? So I've got three disciplines of peace, and we've kind of been on an alliteration kick in City Light Sermons. I don't know why that is. Old school Baptist, three P's, three S's, but I thought I'd run with it. I got three R's, okay? want this to be memorable. I've got three R's, the disciplines of peace. Here they are. Number one is this, rejoice. Rejoice. Look at verse four with me. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. When are we to rejoice in the Lord? Always. So only in the good times, not in the bad times. No, 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 no. Rejoice in the Lord always. He puts it in here twice, just for those of us who are educated public school at Waverly High School, okay? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. What he's saying here, this is how this works. In every situation, we can find reasons to resent our circumstances, or we can find reasons to rejoice. He's saying choose to rejoice. Because we live in this time where we're between the first advent and not yet at the second advent, we're in a contested period. I belong to Jesus Christ. I have been made new. I experience his grace, but I still live in a fallen and broken world. And even in the best moments of my life and in yours, we can find brokenness and things to resent and complain about, right? Some of you, that's your spiritual gift. You find reasons to complain in everything. It's too hot in here right now. Music's too loud. Hey, Jesus still rose, okay? So let's focus on that for a moment. And any reason, we can focus on reasons to resent or reasons to rejoice. And I want you to know, this is not Paul just uh, uh, giving us some postmodern psychobabble about the power of positive thinking, right? Shut out the negative energies. Only think positive thoughts. No, 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 no. He's talking about meaty war with your anxiety that as a follower of Christ, you will choose to rejoice in God and experience his grace even through trials. We choose to rejoice in the Lord always. My wife's grandmother is a sweet Christian woman, walked with Jesus most of her life. Her name is Mary, and, and uh, she's uh, just had her 84th birthday. She's battling Parkinson's disease. She's got a couple bad knees, and age is just a brutal thing. It's just a brutal thing. And uh, we recently had her 84th birthday party, and, and there I, I asked her, Mary, what did you learn in your 83rd year of life? And I love asking that question to old saints, because when they're dialed into Jesus, they learn from God right until the end. So what did you learn from God? She didn't even have to think about it. She said, man, she didn't say man. <laughs> she said, 
She's, <laughs> she's a hip grandma, okay? I'm telling you. She's got the Dre beats on. She's like, man, let me tell you. She, uh, she said, Gavin, God has taught me patience in this last year. She said, I've never been a very patient woman, and I'm just so thankful that God was kind enough to teach me patience this year. See, Mary's a brilliant woman. She's kind of the matriarch of that whole side of the family, and she's very sharp. She's very intelligent. She's quick-witted, good with words, leader, and the Parkinson's is kind of breaking down the section of her brain that has to do with words and language, and there's moments where she wants to talk, and she can't find the right word, and she has to wait, and she has to be patient with herself. And see, Grandma Mary, in this moment, could choose to resent the disease or she could rejoice in what the Lord is doing. And she said, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. Let me ask you, what trial are you going through? What is keeping you up at night? Are you resenting your circumstances or are you rejoicing in the Lord? The first discipline of experiencing the peace of God is to choose always to rejoice in the Lord. Second one I have for you, second discipline of peace is this, remember God's presence. Remember God's presence. Uh, Look at verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. That word at hand could be, uh, could mean God's second coming, Jesus is coming soon, it's near, but most often in scripture it's talking about proximity, Jesus is near. Jesus is near, and so I want you to remember the nearness of Jesus. I think we spend a lot of time remembering that our problems are at hand, don't we? You have to tell us to remember that our problems are at hand. We feel like they're always encroaching. They're right at the door, but Paul is saying, remember that the Lord is near. I want you to know this morning that Jesus is nearer than your problems. You believe that? Jesus is nearer than your problems. He's closer than your sins. He's Inside of you, he's nearer than your problems, your stress, your conflict. The closest thing to you is the presence of God. Remember that the Lord is near. I want you to know that this is the message of Advent, that God came near. When there was a grave and eternal separation between you and me, sinful man from a holy and perfect, just and righteous God, there, were, there was separation, but God came near, right? And on the cross... He gave up the peace and presence of the Father to take away our sins, which kept God far from us. So he took our sins, which kept God far, and he took them how far from us? As far as the east is from the west. And so now what's far from us? Our sins. What's near? Jesus. He took our sins far away so that God's presence could be near. This was fully experienced at Pentecost when he sent the Holy Spirit. See, he sent his very presence not to walk beside us like a co-pilot, but where does the Holy Spirit reside in the Christian? Inside of us. The Holy Spirit is so near to you, he's inside of you, guarding and protecting your heart and your mind with the perfect peace that surpasses all understanding. Remember, City Light, that the Lord is near. Last discipline I want you to remember, final R, is request God's help. Request God's help. Look with me at verse 7. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard and keep your, um, your minds in Christ Jesus. And we're going to go back to 6, which I meant to read. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want you to notice Paul's inclusive language. What are we supposed to be anxious about? Nothing. What are we to pray about? Everything. Be anxious about no thing. But in all things, 
with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Let me ask you, what are you first inclined to do when you feel the attack, the eminent the, the coming of anxiety in your heart? What do you do? Do you freak out? Call your best friend? Open up the Facebook phone for just five minutes to kind of escape the impending anxiety, escapism to relieve your mind? Or do you pray? Paul says you need to pray. You need to pray. You don't need escapism. You don't need meditation. You don't need medication. You don't uh, need to, uh, substances. You, do, you need to pray. You need to shape your worry into prayer. And here's what you do. The first thing you do, you rejoice in the Lord. Jesus, this is difficult, but your grace is abounding. I trust you. You remember the nearness of God, Jesus. I believe that you're near to me and you are in me and you are closer than this problem that is wreaking anxiety in my heart. And number three, I'm going to request your help. God, help me freaking out and I don't know what to do. You can be real with God. Did you know that? Read the Psalms. It gets pretty dicey. God, I don't like this and I don't know what to do. Would you help me? I trust that you have been in the future and you've already seen it. You've been in the past and you've already covered that and you not only know the future, you control it and I will rest in your sovereign grace. Will you help me to believe it, Lord? You rest in his promise. When you're anxious, shape your worries into prayer. When you're lying in bed at night and that's on replay, Take that worried thought, shape it into a prayer. God, would you help me? That's more than a Christian cliche for a bumper sticker. That's a biblical discipline for peace. Shape your worries into prayer. We rejoice in the Lord. We remember his presence and we request his help. And when we do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, it's a biblical promise, guard and keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Peace of God. This morning we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's communion. And uh, to kind of prepare our hearts for that, I, I want to remind you that, that Jesus had a sleepless night. Did you know that? The Bible records it was, it was the night that he was betrayed. Couldn't sleep. He knew that the next day he would be separated from the Father that he had been intimately connected to in a relationship for all of eternity. And in that moment, he would be separated from the peace and presence of the Father and take on the sins of the world. Sins of you and of me. And Jesus couldn't sleep. But did Jesus let that anxiety destroy him? No. What did he do? He prayed. Matthew 26. He went to the garden and he met with his father. And he prayed three different times. Father, if there's any other way, like, I'd be okay with that, you know? If there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In City Light, it was on uh, just two days later, well, the next day, really, that he was nailed up on a cross. His body was broken. His blood was poured out for your forgiveness and for mine as an atoning sacrifice. And so as we celebrate communion this morning, we do so remembering we do have peace with God. And having peace with God through Jesus, we can experience the peace of God. And so as you come forward to celebrate communion, do so remembering the cost of that peace that it cost the Father, and do so rejoicing that he did it gladly out of love for you. And you can now walk in newness of life and enjoying fellowship The peace of God, having peace with God. Uh, If you're new to City Light, everyone is welcome to the table that has peace with God. If you place your faith in Jesus, uh, ask him to forgive your sins, you've received his grace, you're welcome at the Lord's table. Uh, We're going to have communion servers come forward now. They'll be in the front. There's no ushers. You can dismiss yourself whenever you like. Come forward. Uh, They'll break the bread, which represents Jesus' body. Uh, You take it and dip it in the juice, which represents Jesus' blood, and uh, partake of it that way, and you can head back to your seats. Uh, There's communion servers in the back, too, and if you have any uh, food allergies or anything of the like, there's a special station in the back 
by the library. So uh, let me pray, and we'll celebrate our peace with God through communion. Jesus, thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. Uh, God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that is not at peace with you, that even in this moment, they would just surrender their heart to you and experience your peace. That they would just say, Father, forgive me. I'm not at peace, but I have rebelled. I have been your enemy. But Jesus, I believe you came to live, die, and raise in my place, and I receive your forgiveness and grace. Would you be at peace with me? I receive your forgiveness. And Father, we as a people just want to confess, we've tolerated anxiety as though it were a lesser sin. Somehow that's become acceptable. Oh, Father, help us to repent that we would turn from our anxiety that today would not only be just a nice, neat sermon with some alliteration, but God, we would be a people who responds in obedience, that we would wage war with anxiety, um, that we would put these disciplines into place, and that, Father, on the backside, we would receive the joy of the peace of God in spite of all of our circumstances. Father, fill us with that peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.